0: grateful that you call us into the body of Christ. You've caused us to be in Christ. We're free in Christ. We have grace upon grace in Christ. We have mercy. We have forgiveness. We're lavished with things that really we're just embarking upon in Christ. And so we're thankful we're complete in Christ. In Christ you get the glory. And in Christ we are content and have joy. And so, Lord, help us to think deeply about being in Christ. And as we consider that, Lord, we understand it's a privilege to respond and to practice our Christian faith, to be about duty. And so this morning, as we talk about Christian duty, help us to think deeply about character and doctrine and about good works. This ought to be a testimony of every elder, of every believer. It should be a testimony of your church in a dark society. So please help us. So as we look upon these verses, Lord, by your spirit, teach us. Teach us your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we're going to continue this morning with the doctrine of Christian duty, exalting Christ through doctrine, character, and good works. And we've been doing this survey of Titus, chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 3. And so last week, let me just mention a couple points to kind of get us warmed up a little bit. And by the way... If you have any questions or comments, this is absolutely um, a conversational class. So feel free to slow me down, stop me, raise your hand, or somehow get attention and ask that question or make that comment. So we want this to be interactive. So last week, we just touched upon um, the introduction. Last week was our introduction. And then from our introduction, we're gonna spend five more weeks uh, looking at Um, the doctrines of duty. And so we noticed that Paul was instructing Titus to remain on an emphasis, or I'm sorry, remain on in Crete to teach Christian duty. And um, what we talked about was a duty is a responsibility. It's an obligation. A Christian duty is when you're obedient to the master. It's being involved with the role that you've been assigned. It's carrying out the mission That God is giving us. It's a practice. We practice our Christian duty. It's a devotion, a task, a job that we should focus on to do very well. It's an assignment. It's a commitment. That's what a Christian duty is. It's a calling. It's being under authority. And I want you to pay, uh, I want you to, to look with me at Titus chapter 1, verse 1 about being under authority. We're talking about Christian duty and how Paul himself is the example of Christian duty. You can read it all through his writings in the New Testament, but look at Titus chapter 1 verse 1. Paul, a servant. Titus chapter 1 verse 1, Paul, a servant. And actually we understand that this word servant is translated a slave. Paul, a slave of God. Now that's someone that is focused on his duty, on his obligation. He's God's slave. And so He says, a slave of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. And here's what Paul's mission is focused on. Having, uh, for the sake of the faith of God's elect, and you hear this rich in doctrine, the faith of the believer, the election of the believer, and their knowledge, their doctrine of the truth, their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness. Paul wants people to understand God's word in a way where it impacts their life, and they're changed because of what doctrine and the Spirit of God does in our lives. And so we see here, and we talked about this last week, that Paul is under authority, and therefore he's going to impart that to Titus, that he's under authority. And then Titus is going to impart it to the believer in chapter 2, that you're under authority. And then he's going to talk to the church, that the church is under authority to to be full of duty. And so that's what we touched upon last week. He emphasized the Christian duty of the elder, and we looked at chapter 1, and we're going to focus on that this morning. So, he wants the Christian leader, the elder, specifically the elder, and we're going to talk about that from verses 5 to 16. This morning, we're just going to go to verse 9, and then next week, we're going to look at 10 to 16. But he's emphasizing, and just glance with me, I'm leaving you on a Crete, Titus, so you can put, remain, look at verse 5 to put what remains in order, and appoint elders in every town, as I directed you. I heard somewhere as I was reading that there could have been 130 cities or towns on the island of Crete. I was trying to currently look at Crete, and, um, and um, the capital of Crete, I, I, you know, if you know me, I get confused easy when it comes to names, <clears throat> Her- Herculean. And it just reminded me of like Hercules and a lion, that's the capital of Crete, and there's over 200,000 people now, but um, I thought that was interesting. But he's telling, and he's emphasizing um, that, uh, and we talked about this last week, his emphasis on the duty of the elder, so we're going to talk about that this morning, also the duty of the believer and look at chapter 2 with me, just kind of glancing. And every one here that he's emphasizing, the elder or the believer, chapter 2, look at that. He's talking about doctrine. Look at verse 1. As for you, he's talking to Titus. Teach. Teach those believers what accords with sound doctrine. So he wants them to be firm and sound in doctrine. He also wants them to be people of character. And so notice verse 2 older men are to be sober in mind in fact he's going to go through every category and we won't cover this today but the older and we talked about this as an introduction last week older men older women younger men younger women and then slaves he's going to talk and everybody is going to be responsible for this christian duty under learning doctrine and having a character that matches the doctrine that's being taught and then in five different places in these three chapters He's going to talk about good works. Five times in these three chapters, he's going to talk about good works. So, we talked about the elder, and we're going to we're going to continue that this morning. Then the believer, and then the church. We talked about in chapter three, the church is in unity when it comes to doctrine, character, and good works. Chapter three. So we'll we'll move on this morning, and I'll just leave you with that by way of introduction, and. Uh, and then we'll start. Christ is exalted, number A on your outline. Christ is exalted when elders model a genuine life of doctrine, character, and good works. So we want to jump into that this morning. So any, let me just pause for a second here and ask any questions or any comments. Any, any thoughts about last week in terms of any, any questions? Or if not, we can move right on. Okay. A on your outline. Christ is exalted when elders model a genuine life of doctrine, character, and good works. So Paul was commanding Titus to remain on in Crete. And by the way, Titus is the last book of what is referred to as the pastoral epistles. So 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus are lumped together as the pastoral epistles. This is Paul talking to his young successors, Timothy and Titus. And he wants them to be well informed about eldership and what elders are supposed to do. And I think one of the reasons that Paul is doing that is number one, so he's clear on the role of an elder. So God's church is continuing with a solid infrastructure. I mean, you can't have a good government of the church unless you understand what the components are. And the elder and the deacon, and you'll notice that in 1 Timothy 3, the elder and the deacon, and then in Titus, he's focusing on the elder. But if you look at together, you'll see, um, he specifically, you'll see his instructions here about church leadership. And so, um, <clears throat> pointing on out the outline, <clears throat> when when elders model a genuine life, and you know isn't that something that um isn't that something that oftentimes in America churches is missing um, that genuine life sometimes we see people rushed into eldership and they're like used car salesmen sometimes people are uh, involved with eldership there's not even a process that they go through i mean churches in america are unclear about processes they're unclear about why is it that somebody can be an elder? I was on my way to church this morning, it was Father's Day, I called my dad, he's 90. I didn't meet my dad until I was 32 by the way. But I'm talking to him on the way here and I'm telling him about doing Sunday school and all of a sudden he just starts to have this massive interest in the Sunday school class that I'm teaching. And um, even to the point where I got here, pulled in the parking lot and had to tell my dad, dad, I have you right where I want you. I told him, (laughs) but I have to go and I'm uh, having to do some things in there, but I'm going to call you back and we're going to talk about this. Um, I just thought that, that was, that was a blessing. But part of the thing I was expressing to him was, um, people ought to know why they're pastors. People ought to know who pastors are. And so Paul is emphasizing, and I'm going to just mention here, Paul's, commanding Titus to remain on in Crete, and look at verse 5 with me. This is why I left you in Crete, dear Titus. Uh, I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remains in order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So appointing elders in every town, that's really, really important. Paul's thought is about biblical eldership. And as he's starting this book about being full of doctrine, being equipped in doctrine, character, and good works, he's now addressing Titus, and he's telling him about eldership, and so I want to give you just some thoughts here about, and just observing Paul's thoughts on eldership, nine thoughts on the doctrine of eldership, let me just point these out to you, and you'll see them on your outline, so number one point as far as Paul is just in this passage here, making thoughts on eldership, number one is operating under apostolic authority, This cannot be taken lightly. Paul is the authority here, and he's passing this on to Titus, and it cannot be underestimated that there is an apostolic authority that's going on here. When Titus then would be able to instruct the believer to be about doctrine and character and good works, they would easily... um, it would be an easy thought to think about where people are going to lash back. You know, who are you, Titus? And Paul is writing this letter to give him apostolic authority. That's number one reason on, aposto- on apostolic authority. But if you look at the apostolic authority here that, that Paul is passing on to Titus, and this is what elders are they're people with apostolic authority. Now, they're not apostles. For sure there's there's only one group of capital A apostles but they're listening and they're teaching what the apostles taught Jesus and the apostles and here we are pastors and under shepherds today but certainly the under shepherds today ought to be looking back at the apostolic what the apostles were teaching back then so here's Titus listening to the apostolic authority of Titus uh, Titus is listening to the apostolic authority of Paul and he's passing that on. Verse 1. Here's Paul with the authority about being under God, God's slave. And then, in fact, not only a slave and an apostle of Jesus Christ. So we see here, but also notice in verse 13 when he says to Titus, he says, This testimony is true. He's talking about the Cretans. This testimony is true, and therefore rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in faith. But If you notice the authority here, Paul is telling Titus to rebuke these people. Rebuke them sharply. Now that's authority being given to Titus to a group of people who are corrupting the gospel. Who are outside the boundaries of the gospel. And so he's under apostolic authority, Titus is. And that's what the elder is. He's under apostolic authority. We could go on and look at verse 1 of chapter 2. He says to him very clearly, you're to teach what accords with sound doctrine. That's the whole Bible. What it teach to uh, sound doctrine. It'd be like that. You're to teach this, Titus. <clears throat> but here's the point that I'm making is that Titus is under apostolic authority. And look at verse 15. Paul's warning him, you're going to teach this doctrine of authority. Verse 15, declare these things. That's authority. That's That is, declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Let no one come around you and circumvent the issues that I'm bringing up about older men, older women, younger men, younger women. Let no one come and circumvent these teachings. Let no one do that. There's an authority that's going on here. So that's well established. And then in verse 8 of chapter 3, you can notice where in verse 8 he is saying, Um, these sayings the sayings the saying is the saying is trustworthy and i want you to insist on these things insist on these things so there's authority behind this and that's what the elder is he's under apostolic authority and so paul is making that very clear to titus and titus is titus is good with this titus understands this clearly it goes to jesus christ and then it goes um, and then it goes to the apostles. In fact, Jesus, in John chapter 13, verse 20, if you want to write that verse down, Jesus says this to the apostles on the very last night. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives one, whoever receives the one I send, and he's talking to the disciples, the 11. Judas is already gone. It's the, it's the night they're in the last supper. It's that very night that Jesus is going to be walking to Gethsemane, and he's going to meet The crowd there and he's going to be taken and crucified but that night when he's in there washing his feet and displaying to them um, servant leadership what he's saying to them is truly truly i say to you whoever receives the ones i send the apostles receives me and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me and so you see this apostolic authority it can't be underestimated the elders that we're under today ought to verify their teachings by what the apostles say. And if they're outside that orthodoxy of what the apostles say, red flags ought to for sure go up. So, okay, number one is apostolic authority. Number two, sound uh, sound doctrine promotes sound faith. Every elder understands sound doctrine promotes sound faith. If you have corrupt doctrine, you're going to produce corrupt faith. And let me just point this out really quickly. If you notice in Titus chapter 1, and I thought this was interesting, I kept reading through it, and this was something that just jumped out. Look at verse 9. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to instruct in sound doctrine, and also to rebuke those who are the naysayers, or those who contradict it. But then look at verse 13. Here you have in the church those leaders who have, crept in, who have crept into the church who are bad leaders, and we're going to deal with that next week. They're bad leaders, but verse 13, this, is a trust, this testimony is true, therefore, and it's true about them being corrupt. It's true, therefore, verse 13, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in faith. I hope you caught that. He's talking about men being able to be sound in doctrine so it would be produced sound in faith. Look at verse 13 one of chapter two it says for you teach what accords with sound doctrine and then he's talking to the older men in verse two of chapter two older men are to be sober minded dignified self-controlled sound in faith and the point here is elders realize sound faith promotes or sound doctrine promotes sound faith and i think you can see this supported really well in first and second timothy and so that's number two Number one is operating under the apostolic authority. Number two is sound doctrine, promotes sound faith. Number three, elders are men. Elders are men. Having a good conversation yesterday with a young man who was listening to, <clears throat> uh, to the Baptist Convention, I believe it was. And, uh, you know, Rick Warren is someone who is now apparently moving forward at saying it's okay for the pastors to be men and women. I mean, we see this all over the place. I mean, the women's movement is all over the place in America, but it cannot creep into the church. Elders are men in the church. The church leadership are men. And in fact, you'll notice here, Christ's bride is led by men. This is confirmed by the Old Testament and the New Testament writers. It's clear that every official leadership class, the priests, and I know people will say, what about Deborah the prophet? There's an exception about the prophets. Uh, What about the judges? I I know in Judges there is this this, um, chapter about um, a woman rising up. But if you read that chapter as well, you'll notice it talks about how the men are losing something by having the woman step up to do this. And then a man does accompany the woman in the book of Judges, and so you still see here a, you, do, you see here a very consistent, unarguable way about God that He has the men leading. In fact, Genesis chapter two and three, um, you just can't miss this where men are leading." And in fact, look at Titus chapter one in the very verses we're going to be looking at here. Look at verse six. "If anyone is above reproach, we're going to talk about that in a moment. The husband of one wife. You can hear that clause. This is He's framing this by conversation of a man being in this leadership position in the church. And his children, notice that pronoun, his children are believers. Now, interestingly enough, some translations aren't doing good putting pronouns in there. But his children uh, are believers or they're faithful. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. Um Look at verse 6. As God's steward must be above reproach, he must not, notice the pronoun, he must not be arrogant, quick-tempered, as a drunkard, or, a, a violent, uh, or violent, or greedy, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, disciplined. In verse 9, he must be. And I'm just trying to say, if you read Titus chapter 3, verses 1 to 7, when it comes to elders in the church leaders in the church you're going to notice the same pronouns men are to lead in God's church not women men are that's not a subtle point I mean why why would God do that because he's the designer and the creator and he understands what best works and believers will submit to that and follow that and so it's clear when you look at this their their elders are men so that's principle number three. Let's move on to principle number four. Christ's church is shepherded by a plurality of men. Now, this is, these are some of the points that we're going to make, and unfortunately, we have a little bit to cover this morning, so every one of these points, I'm not going to be able to get into super detail, but a plurality of leaders. Let me appeal to your reasonableness this way and say this. If you have men that God has gifted and the Holy Spirit has worked in and risen them up to be an elder and we're going to see where an elder and an overseer and a pastor are the same position but they all have doctrine they've all been examined and they have a doctrinal they've passed the test doctrinally character wise and they've passed the test with good works they are balanced godly men where is where in the bible can you just see one as a senior pastor um, and we're going to address Peter in just one second here. But my point for this is Christ's church is led by a plurality of men. He wants men to be risen up and work together. And I'm saying this, you know, I remember one time being in a leadership class and someone very snarky, in fact, the guy who was leading this class, um, and he was a very snarky guy, a very prideful, arrogant guy. And, and he, in fact, has disqualified himself to be a leader in the church And I'm only saying that to say his snarkiness. I remember in this leadership class, he was saying, you think John MacArthur, you think John MacArthur's not the leader of that church? Like, he's not the senior pastor of that church? What he says goes? Like, that's his framing of this argument. And I was sitting there listening to him, and I'm like, okay, okay, if if John MacArthur's not, first of all, John MacArthur teaches a plurality of men. He teaches there's a plurality of men leading. He teaches that his chip on the vote is no more weighty than any other elder on there. That's what he teaches. So he's either got to be a liar or he's got to be genuine in how he teaches about a plurality. They had a baptism at their church. They didn't have a baptism, a baptism, like a baptismal, in their church. And they had a large, there are 20 elders, and, and I'm just, um, um, you know, uh, trying to move us through the story, but, it, but the way it goes is this. They had a large number of elders. I'm just going to guesstimate and say 20. John MacArthur and 19 other men. And they were trying to say, let's have, the, let's have the baptismal, let's have that pool of water be in the gymnasium. And 18 of the men, 19 of the men, in fact, said, yeah, that sounds good. One man, and it wasn't John MacArthur, said, you know what? That what makes better sense is 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 if we have it right here where the congregation is congregating on Sunday mornings. And so there was a little bit of a disagreement. And so what they said was, in terms of a plurality, they said, we can't move forward unless there is equal unity in this. And so let's all pray. Let's all go away. They prayed on the issue. This one guy came back and biblically made his case why he thinks that and and won the other 19 men over, John MacArthur included. I mean, the point of it is this. And by the way, when you think about a plurality of eldership, it keeps people humble. Senior pastorism is not a biblical. It's not a. It's not a. It's not a biblical. Um, it's not supported biblically in the Bible. So there's a plurality of men leading. You could read Acts chapter, I believe it's Acts 14, where. The assembly of elders came together it was one time in the new testament where you see all the elders of the regions coming together and i know what's happened you know what i'm kind of getting off track here but to support this point the plurality of eldership and 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 here's um uh here's one point that alexander strock makes in regards to um the plurality of eldership he points out the first among the equal so when you're thinking about what about peter i mean peter Peter was like the senior pastor guy. He told people what to do and where to go. Peter put his foot in his mouth. And we've heard these kind of analogies. He put his foot in his mouth more times than we can count. And the Bible shows us where Peter's put his foot in his mouth. Peter was the guy in Galatians chapter 2 that started to be influenced about wrong doctrine. And Paul comes up and to his face and in the midst of everybody says, no, Peter, you're completely wrong. Peter was not the senior pastor. There was no senior pastor. It was a plurality of elder, elders. Alexander Strzok, he calls it the first among the equal. And so sometimes, like John MacArthur, you have men who are first among the equal. They're all equal, but his giftedness by the Spirit of God is elevated in such a way that it's obvious his biblical skill. And so he's first among the equals. That's the way it's talked about. That's the way I've been taught, and it, it makes sense to me. But... For time's sake, let's move on. So we see here point number four, the church is led by a plurality of men. Number five, um, and I've kind of skipped out of order here. I I just went to number six, uh, the first among the equal. And then let me go back to number five, a a priority um, to reproducing other elders and leaders. Point number five on your outline. Training them in doctrine in character and good works. This is what Paul is doing to Titus. He's training men. And in 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 2, one of the verses that Paul's going to use to talk to pastors about training other pastors, he's going to say and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, this is 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 2, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And so we see here, there's a priority to reproduce elders and leaders. That needs to be a priority. And I think when you do that, when you work under a plurality and when you see a first among the equal, I mean, some churches don't have a first among the equal. Some are, some are just equally gifted and they share it. Some, um, some just logistically, some people are working and being an elder and then sometimes the church is able to afford to pay people. And so you, you can see that there, there needs to be some, some, some deep thought when it's talked about these principles under eldership. Um, number seven, uh, the position of an elder, overseer, or steward. So when you look at this passage, um, look with me at verse six and seven right here. If anyone is above, re- above reproach, um, the husband of one wife and believing children. Um, in verse 7, it's actually where I'm pointing to. Titus chapter 1, verse 7. An overseer as God's steward. Now, what's interesting about this, and because of time's sake, I'm going to just give you a general observation of this. The elder, he's mentioned that in verse 5. The overseer, he's mentioning right here in verse 7. I hope you're catching that. These are two different words. Um, <clears throat> the terms are referring to the same office, but he's using two different firm two different terms, but they're inter- interchangeable. This is not two different people. The, the word elder in the Greek is presbyteros. And what's interesting, you'll notice he's talking about elders in Titus chapter one. But he's also in Titus chapter one using the term overseer. And you can see that in verse 7, an overseer. And then he's even using a third term, steward. But if you were to look back at 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 to 7, you're going to notice Paul introduces this by calling for the overseer. If the overseer desires to be uh, if a man desires to be an overseer, it's a good thing that he desires. And I'm just pointing out here, because there tends to be some confusion. And I don't know how to reconcile the confusion. I'm just pointing out what tends to be the confusion. The confusion is, you look at a pastor, or you look at an elder, and you look at different positions. I mean, we hear this, the Episcopal Church. Some of these words are Episcopal. Some of these words are Presbyterian, Presbyteros, Presbyterian. So sometimes you you hear all these different terms and see all these different church governments, but you're unclear about what? what. Um, I, again, I can't reconcile it all, but I can say this. These are interchangeable terms describing one office. The pastor is the elder. The elder is the pastor. And their job is to be a steward. They They are under the authority of the master. That's what being a steward is. And so... The word pastor, it's interesting, Um, it comes from the Latin word shepherd. Um, I'm pretty close with that. Um, Shepherd or pastor comes from a Latin term. Uh, Pastor comes from the Latin term shepherd. And you can see shepherds, 1 Peter 5, verses 1 and 2, feed the flock or shepherd the flock. You see it in Acts chapter 20. Um, you, You hear the same type of thing in Acts chapter 20 as Paul is making his last, um, his last stand with the elders before he goes to Rome, and he's pleading with them to fulfill their duty as pastors, as elders, as overseers. So it's interesting. You're going to hear this term overseer. You're going to hear this term elder. Uh, in this passage, in verse seven, he uses the term. Um, he uses the term steward, a distributor, a stewardess. Uh, um, is simply a steward is simply a distributor in a home or a manager of the means that are available to him so you see these terms here and i thought it was important the position of an elder overseer pastor these are interchangeable terms pointing out the same person i i agree with you that it's confusing i'm not here this morning to to reconcile the confusion but somehow we have to come to grips with what god's word is clearly saying And I I agree that churches are still trying to figure this out and put it into place in a way that it makes sense and gives Christ glory. It's his church. And I know men are trying to get it right. (laughs) I've been around godly, godly men who are trying to get it right. You know, and you have a youth pastor, but he's not even been ordained as an elder. I've been around churches like that. And I'm not being critical on that. I'm just saying that's part of the confusion. You have a young guy who's being called to, a youth pastor. A pastor. Well, Wait a minute. When the Bible uses the word pastor, that means that he's passed the test, and he's actually an elder now. So, you, you can see, I'm just pointing out the confusion. I'm not reconciling it this morning necessarily. Any questions? Any comments? Okay. Yes.
1: I look at it as the, the title is like a distinction of the more or less responsibility as to what they do, but there are children of God and stewards of God and all servants of God. But but you're right. Yeah, it's kind of uh, well, the pastor is a pastor, and then you are elders, and there are there are workers, but everyone is a Christian. It's I look at it distinction, perhaps of just.
0: Yeah. the more or less responsibility that's given to us. I think you might make a really good point there, just in trying to work this out, especially young churches and even older churches. But in trying to work this out, Al was just pointing out that, okay, that's what he's good at, and so he's being called a pastor or an elder because he oversees things really well. But I think what the scriptures are telling us is that these are interchangeable terms and the elder functions just like that. He functions with all of those terms. That's the uniqueness of that man. He's a very unique man. And by the way, let, let's finish in verse uh, point number eight. The Holy Spirit is the one who, who makes him the elder. The Holy Spirit does that. Jonathan Edwards was always concerned that the Holy Spirit didn't get enough credit. And I'm trying to stay within the book of Titus as much as I can, but I just couldn't get away from this. Acts chapter 20, verse 28 pay careful attention to yourselves and to the flock in which the holy spirit has made you overseer the holy spirit is the one who gifts that person and and that person is an overseer an elder because of the giftedness of god so he can't walk around going well i'm not an elder but i'm an overseer i'm not really a pastor but i'm but i'm but i'm the. no if he, if he's in this position and been qualified to be in this position um he is the man of God, and these are the interchangeable terms that he needs to come to grips with and and needs to work out these qualities in his life. so and that's that's who oversees Christ's church. All right, number nine, the elder overseer, the shepherd is Jesus's gift to his church. Ephesians chapter four verses 11 and twelve. Ephesians four, 11 and twelve. And he gave the apostles that would be. We, we, we know who the apostles are. The prophets, that's the Old Testament. The evangelists. And we can see the disciples being the evangelists going all over the world. We can see that the, uh, uh, he gave shepherds and teachers. So you notice the word shepherd here. That is the pastor. Um, and, and it's referring to the same elder overseer. And here's verse 12. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up the body. And so we see here very clearly... Paul's observations when it comes to when it comes to church leadership. So let's move on and tackle um, the qualities. Um, this next section is how will Titus know who to pick as an elder? I mean, how does he know? Who gets picked as an elder? And if you've been around at any time, you can see sometimes where it's like a political thing. Um, you can see sometimes those who speak the best, those who have the brightest personalities, sometimes get thrown in this position as an elder. Who can actually be the elder? How will Titus know who to pick? That's the next section. So let me just pause for a second and see if there's any questions or there's any comments. I know we're covering a lot. Okay. Yes, Craig
1: just to follow up. Yeah. I mean again you you did a great job explaining to about all of those terms being interchangeable and it, it it's culturally very difficult for a lot of people. We we spent as elders we spent a couple years back kind of going through and trying to explain that to the whole congregation that we're we're all just elders. There's three of us that are that are elders here at this church and people still like to I mean you like to use the term pastor. Sure even though it's interchangeable with with elders and it's it's a cultural thing like you said you give a great example of one place where there's a youth pastor that's not even ordained as an elder right which doesn't follow the biblical model yeah a- and it's it's just kind of a cultural thing especially in in the united states where it's hard for people to get used to there's only so much time and energy we we put some into that a few years ago and Still some people prefer, I mean, I, I still hear people occasionally say, hey, Pastor Nick. Yeah. <laughs> you, you still get that. You never still hear yeah. anybody say Elder Nick or anything like that. It's just, yeah. but there are just different roles that we have at different times that, yeah. that we use. And life.
0: I appreciate that, Craig. And if you hear what Craig's saying, you know, they've worked hard. And churches do this, and, I, and I've seen this. And so, again, you know, um, I'm not beating up anybody. I think what's good for us is to just try to be clear on what Scripture says. I know that I can see Scripture really clear sometimes, but I can't and I haven't worked it out in my life. And I'm trying to. I'm practicing doing that. And so, you know, the, the idea first, I think what Paul is telling Titus is make sure this is really clear. Make sure this is biblically clear. This is the biblical doctrine on eldership. Now, this morning, we're just glancing at Titus. But if you look at First and Second Timothy and Titus, peter addresses the issue of eldership so this is a huge subject and so craig i appreciate your your comments too and i'm grateful for our leaders here um, we started going here back in september and we didn't make an easy, easy decision to come from a church 14 years to come here and be under elders we it who were under we so um, just to be clear on that a little personal testimony on my part so let's look at how does titus know how does he know who to pick as an elder and again, you're going to notice in 1 Timothy chapter 3 verses 1 to 7, where Titus talks about elders, in 1 Timothy 3 verses 1 to 7, Paul's addressing overseers, but they're the same interchangeable position. So, who's qualified to be an elder? The elder is the example, he's the he's the example of of doctrine. And I and I want you to look at verse 9. And if, in fact, it says it it says it verse uh it says it very clearly in Titus chapter one, verse nine. He's that one, uh, he's able to address and correct the Christian who needs to be rebuked. And he can also um, defend the gospel and the word of God against the naysayer. But um, the elder is the example of doctrine. The elder, he, uh, he's, the, he's the example. The elder is the example of good works uh, character and good works, and um, and we're going to notice that as we glance at this. An elder must be tested; he must be tested and qualified for the position of eldership. He must be tested and qualified. I mean, for Pete's sake, you can't even be an electrician without going through a five-year program to be an electrician, and then be tested to make sure you're competent. Doctors go through competency tests and requirements god's church is way above and weightier than all of this the elder should be tested not too long ago it was a fellow my age at the former church that we that we were at and he was going through the process of becoming an elder and this process was like at least he's at least meeting with the elder with the elders for a year meeting and then the next year he's 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 being critiqued and I remember one time this guy and I were in a situation and he was not acting very kindly and so in private I called him and said hey what is this all about and he humbly admitted it he humbly confessed it humbly apologized for it and I thought how wonderful (laughs) how wonderful this guy's not perfect but um he's not perfect and i mean what he what he did was enough for me to just call him on it and that's all i mean we should be calling each other out all the time but this guy went through a year of that and then they had parts where and again every church is different in the process but they had parts where you know the congregation would have a chance to ask him questions and so forth and so on but for sure there is a process and churches will do it differently and i'm not picking on any one or the other, I'm just pointing out the process. I was once involved with a younger church, a very new church, and they didn't know what the process was. And in fact, um, the, the process they picked wasn't, um, You know, it, 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 I, I could see clearly that the person in charge wanted just to make sure there was an elder board, and he eliminated the process, he limited the process, he hardly even had a process, and he just picked the guys up, and so now they can be called elders. And now you have a bad situation. And in fact, I can look back 20 years ago, those guys that he picked, nobody's even around. Nobody's even around. This is not the former church that I we came from, by the way. What's interesting about that church, they weigh this process. And in the process, what's interesting, you could go there and the elders are still there after 35 years or 40 years. There's a reason why God is saying, make sure these are genuine people. And in fact, along the way, Titus... Paul is telling Titus and Timothy, make sure you don't put your hands on someone and be responsible for their actions. So, a lot here, and I'm okay that we haven't made it all through, but let me just glance through this. Uh, Paul points to five areas in the life, five areas in the life that must be inspected. Five areas, and let me just, as we're closing here, give you these five areas. He must be blameless. That means to be upright. That's not being perfect, but he's but he's blameless, he's upright. In other words, he can't be called out on something. I had a guy come, a landscaper, he came and redid my front lawn. And the interesting when he did it, him and I negotiated a price, shook hands on that price. In fact, he gave me a contract about that price. And after the job was done, because he put more work in, he didn't tell me, but he thought he put more work in, he came to me and upped the price by about $300. And so at the time, our finances were okay, and I said to him, you know, what you're doing is wrong, but I'll tell you what I'm gonna do, because I did see you spend more time, but what you didn't do was come to me and negotiate or tell me, hey, I'm spending more time, I need more money. And so, I said, I'm gonna pay you the $300, and so he did, uh, I did, I paid him the extra, the extra money, and we went our ways. In fact, to this day, the lawn that he put in, the sprinklers are crooked, so when my sprinklers go up, the water goes into the ground rather than a nice spray. <laughs> and here's a point that I'm making. My next door neighbor happened to use this guy, and the guy did the same thing to my next door neighbor. That neighbor moved recently, and another people came in and somehow got his name, and they had the guy do some work for him, and the guy did the same thing. That's not being above reproach. That's a stain right there. I would never refer this guy. I would never, I would never use this guy again. Elders need to be above reproach. They need to be not called out on things. And that doesn't mean elders are perfect, but it means they're dealing with their sin. That's what it means. Some people even have to take a sabbatical or take a sideline. They're still an elder. If the Holy Spirit of God makes you an elder, you're still an elder. And so, but sometimes people disqualify themselves and they're not functioning as an elder. I mean, they'll function personally as an elder, but sometimes they disqualify themselves. And <clears throat> but, the, but the elders, um, you can see here, need to be above reproach. You can, you can notice that um, in verse six, and he uses it again in verse seven, that he must be approach, above reproach. So let me just mention, he has an upright family life, verse six. If anyone is above reproach, he's the husband of one. wife. His family life is in order his marriage and his parenting. Clearly, you can see that in verse six. We won't have time to go through the details, but clearly you can see his family life is in order. Verse six, he's above reproach, the husband of one wife. His children are believers. This is a controversial thing too. What does that mean? That word is broken up into he has children that are faithful. Um, That's a great conversation. I would love to have it with you. Or maybe you can ask Nick or, Uh, Craig or or Dan about um, what that means, and he's not open to the charge of debauchery um, or insubordination. So, we see here that he has an upright family life, verse 6. Also, we see that he has an upright personal life, and so you see numerous things that are pointed out here in his personal life, verse 7 and 8. There's like nine things, and of course, I don't have time to address those, but of course, He's, he's not being able to be called out for any one of these things. It's not to say he's perfect, but it's to say that he has these things in control and he doesn't have any, anybody calling him out on these things. He's, he, he must be upright. He must be above reproach. So he's not self-willed or just always having to have his own way. He's not easily irritated. He's not addicted to wine. He doesn't always have to come near to wine. Let me have more to drink. He's not a Uh, a striker using his fists he's not a lover of money he has people in his home he's hospitable verse 8 he promotes what's good he promotes virtue in people he promotes good virtue in people he promotes good men and so he he's about things that are good he's faithful in his duties and so we can see here that he has his family life and he has his personal life in a position where he's not stained He's not above reproach. And so number four, he's loyal to the Bible. You can see in verse nine, we talked about this verse a little bit this morning. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught. And so he's a zealot about the word of God. People, people, People have problems and he brings up the Bible to correct them. He brings up the Bible to instruct them. When the naysayers come up and wanna refute the gospel, he comes up to the naysayer and he's prepared and able because he's a trained man. He's able to tell them what the apostles and what the word of God clearly says on the issue. So we can see here he's loyal to the Bible. And then lastly, he understands the importance of good works. And we're going to talk about good works. But he's a model of good works. He's, he's, uh, uh, he's motivated by God to do good works. You'll notice that in verse 16. Verse 16 is a negative example of the non-Christian Um, leader that creeps into the church that is no good for good works and yet the man of god because he's purified by christ he can do good works and he's focused and motivated by god to do that and so we see here good works are important um, when it comes to that he's a model of good works zealous for good works Um, he's self-reflected about good works am i involved with good works enough it's not just about head knowledge It's not just about having his character in line. It's all of those things, but in addition, it's also, let me make sure I'm benefiting other people. Uh, This is a unique individual, uniquely because the Spirit of God has worked in his life to set him aside, to be a pastor, elder, overseer, steward of God's kingdom. And so, there's enough there. And I don't like to go over, but I'm like three or four minutes over. So I'm going to pray. If you have any questions, please come up. I mean, I love this subject. I know our men are here. Our elders are here. Would love to answer any questions that you have. And so let me pray for us, and we'll get ready for worship. Lord, it's a grand morning. It's wonderful. Thank you so much for your word. Thank you for Father's Day. Thank you for being our father. Um, We're just grateful to be your children. Lord, we give you the praise and the honor. Prepare us now as we come in corporate worship to honor and exalt Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for coming.